Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of Calvary Live, originating here from the studios at Grace FM at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. Also knowing that we're going to be rebroadcasting this on the Lead to Serve podcast, I want to welcome everyone that's listening via podcast want to welcome everyone that's listening live on Grace FM. And of course, we want to welcome our friends on Hope FM and Truth FM and many other stations around the country and all of our listeners around the world. We want to welcome you. You know, you've probably tuned in, um, especially for these episodes as we have real conversations about the racial tensions that are in our world today and in our culture. And we want to, to hear the heart of those that are living in the midst of great difficulty. We want to learn, we want to grow, and we want to face the challenges of the day with the love, the mercy, the grace, and the sure word of God. God's word speaks his love, his grace, his mercy. So today, I want to jump right into it by giving you our phone number. We're going to be taking calls toward the latter part of the program, so if you want to uh, call in on the topic, 303-690-3000 is the number, 303-690-3000, or you can text us a question at 720-336-0897. My name is Ed Taylor, and I am the pastor here at Calvary Church, and today we have a very special guest on the line with us, Pastor Tony Clark. Welcome to the program, Tony. Well, God bless you, Pastor Ed. I'm so honored to be here with you. Well, we're glad you joined us. I'll share a little bit with our audience, uh, Pastor Tony, some background. We know that Tony married his high school sweetheart in this first year of college and joined the United States Marine Corps. While he was stationed in Okinawa, Japan, he made a life-changing commitment to God and realized that he was being called into the ministry. In 1994, Tony, along with his wife and three kids, planted Calvary Chapel in Newport News, Virginia. Tony pastors a multicultural fellowship. He hosts his nationwide radio program called The Word Made Plain. And if you happen to be a night owl... You can hear Pastor Tony right here on Grace FM. He jumps on the air at 2 a.m. And, you know, people do listen to the radio at 2 a.m., Tony. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for investing some time in, in this discussion today. Oh, I'm honored. I really am. I really am honored. Well, let me just start off uh, at this level and say with, with all that, that's been going on, Tony, and all that you've been seeing— all the interviews you've been doing, all the difficulties you've been facing, how are you doing personally? Like, how 
how are you doing? How can we pray for you? How can we, like, how's Tony doing? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, um, I've, I've, I've had my struggles. Uh, and the reason why is because I'm heartbroken over the response and the attacks that I received from my uh, precious white evangelical Christians. Um, that's where my greatest attacks uh, and condemnation um, have come from, and that is just heartbreaking uh, for me to experience that. So let's just start right there. What what's what's an area? What's an area that you are facing from white evangelical? And I'm I'm going to say probably pastors. Um, uh, pastors and people. Okay. So what what are they? What's what 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 are they adding to? Uh, what are they attacking? Let's just use that word. What are they attacking? Where where are you getting hit? Well, you know the 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 heartbreaking part is how there is a constant changing of the narrative. Um, you know, there the world watched a a police officer murder. Uh, George Floyd, and the and the and the world was mourning, and the church, and this is what I mean by changing the narrative. And the church was constantly crying out, "Abortion, abortion, black on black crime, um, blacks killing black police officers," and and never was there any sympathy or empathy or even trying to understand. It was just, oh, like one, one pastor, he actually posted, I wish the 70,000 abortions done in the black community, I wish that they could protest and riot at this time. And I just said, bro, you don't realize how insensitive, how tone deaf you come off when you're changing the narrative from people. The world is mourning right now. And you're talking about abortion. We know abortion is not right. We know abortion is wrong. But this is not the time to talk about abortion. So I, I began, I put some, with someone else, I said, oh, you are more concerned about the black baby aborted than for the baby being born and growing up and being murdered by a police officer. Oh, you're more concerned when these uh, aborted as a as a baby or in the womb, but you you don't have that same concern when he's murdered later on, and so th- that's the kind of stuff that I I'm constantly fighting. And we know abortion is wrong. We know biblically it's not right. But what is constantly being talked about is abortion, black on black crime, and those things. And there's a total uh, ignoring of there's a group of people that are hurting right now, and they're lashing out in a way that they only know how to do as unbelievers, and, and there's no concern for them. I, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost in Luke 19.10, and there's a bunch of people who are lost, and the church, instead of heartbreaking for the lost, they're changing the narrative to abortion. And I just posted this um, just a few minutes ago uh, in uh, Matthew 9:36. It says, "But I, I, what I said was, I said, do we see people 
through the eyes of Jesus. And I said, Matthew 9:36 says, but when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And I don't see that taking place from the evangelical church. I don't see, and I won't say all, but a good majority that I'm connected to or who have sent me nasty grams or uh, uh, messages on Facebook or whatever, um, but that's that's just some of the attacks uh, that I've been getting. I had one, um, you know, one uh, pastor uh, finally, you know, hey man, uh, you know, I don't agree with you when you said this, and and he had it recorded what I said. He said, I want to challenge you on this. I said, hold up, bro, did you even call to see how I was doing? Yeah. Did you see how I was? how I'm dealing with all this, how our church is dealing with this. You call me up to challenge me? I said, no, what, what, where's the sympathy and the empathy? We're told to weep with those who weep. Yeah. But instead of weeping with those who weep, we're trying to find fault. We're changing the narrative to abortion and black-on-black crime. Well, how about weeping with some people? The world is weeping, but instead the church is crying out something different. So those are just some of the things that I've had to experience uh, through this short period of time. So, Tony, with the re- first of all, I'm sorry. Um, those It's hard enough to get uh, harsh emails just because we taught something wrong or we had the wrong worship song or, you know, wh- whatever a pastor endures. But I'm sorry that the, the, level, of, the, the level of communication with you has is, is been painful, man. I'm sorry. No, thank you. I appreciate that. And it's been painful because they come from my own brothers and sisters and from fellow pastors. Yeah. And I'm just like, wow. Have, you, have y'all even, even wanted to even know how I was doing, how our church was doing, how I was feeling, how the people in your area doing with this? Bro, how can I pray for you? None of that. It's just go on attack or it's complete silence. And these are many churches that I've taught in around the country and complete silence. So from your perspective, Tony, uh, if you were doing a class on this particular topic, you know, uh, Responding 101, what are we missing exactly? What, what, are we, what, what are we missing exactly that would help us be a better uh, source of help and, and care during this time, what, like if you were, you had a whiteboard up there, you know, you're writing on the chalkboard and you're saying, okay, this is number one. This is what I want you to consider. This is what I want you to pray. What are we missing exactly? Well, you know, one of the things that I've said in uh, these interviews around the country, I've said, you know, what made Ezekiel such uh, an effective prophet? Uh, Ezekiel 3.15 says he sat where they sat. He sat with those in Babylonian captivity. He heard their hearts. He was right there with them. And I think that there are a lot of uh, my precious uh, white evangelicals that need to sit where some of us sit, meaning that try to have meaningful conversations and just say, hey, help me to understand from your perspective. Help me to understand how can I pray for you. Why, do you, why does the black community see things like this? To help me to understand, and that's, that can either be going out to lunch, 
uh, that can be in a small group created at the church, uh, that could be uh, inviting over to dinner because we know in first century culture to eat with the person is to become one with them. Mm -hmm. So by doing that, then we can have some meaningful conversations and say, hey, and then you may find out, I never knew that. And then a black person may say, oh, I thought that you all looked at us like this. And see, and then there's meaningful conversations. But because, see, my friend, uh, he said this. He said racism didn't go away. It just went underground. Mm. And then it took this particular incident uh, to bring it back up to the surface. I had a a very well-known pastor friend of mine, megachurch pastor, um, and he told me when he put just a post on social media uh, saying, you know, just I, I, I'm just sympathizing with the black community. I'm sorry for what's going on. He said he had over a thousand people unfollow him. Mm-hmm. And one particular person said, everything you said, taught or have written up until this point is none and void. I would never listen to another thing you have to say. And then he told me his largest donor at the church wrote him a nasty gram and said, I'm never coming back to this church. So racism is a sin of the heart. It's never going to go away. It just goes underground and they can pass all the laws they want. That's not the answer is passing a bunch of laws because we see all the laws from affirmative action to uh, the civil rights movement, all that sort of stuff to this day, all those laws they can pass, the 13th, 14th Amendment, and all this stuff, but it still doesn't change the heart. Laws doesn't change the heart. You can't legislate righteousness. And, and what we have to do, the church has to lead the way in the healing in this particular area. We have to look at people the way Jesus did and through the eyes of Jesus, and, and that is the only way that that healing can come from our nation. It says if my people will call by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. This is why the Bible says judgment must begin at the house of God. And so judgment needs to begin with us. We need to look in the mirror at the church and say, what are we doing to help bring healing, and instead the divide between white and black is becoming more evident as the days go by. And we see it right now. And all those people who sing the nice Jesus songs and we worship you, we praise you, as soon as stuff like this come up, we see what's really in their heart. And there's a deep-seated racism and a prejudice that is in everybody's heart to a certain degree. There's blacks against whites, whites against black, and all this sort of stuff. It is there, and the church needs to lead the way in bringing healing to the land. And so when, when you talk about, uh, I, I love this, I mentioned it this weekend, Ezekiel sitting where he says, I sat where they sat. You know, I was with them, I'm among them. The, even pastors were to be among the flock. Um, what, what, do you think this, what do you think the resistance is, uh, and what do you think, why, why do you think there is an unwillingness to to meet Tony Clark at the table. And I, I'm, I'm using Tony because you and I are talking, but not necessarily you, but let's say it's you. What, what's the resistance to someone that, what, what, what do you view as the resistance, someone just sitting down with Tony and saying, Tony, I want to hear what you have to say. What, what is it that's pushing even evangelicals, pastors, 
Why wouldn't we want to sit down? Why would a big donor say, I'll never listen to you ever again because I don't agree on this one issue? What, what's, where's the resistance coming from? We know it's a sin issue, but on a practical level, where do you think the resistance coming from? The practical level is fear. There's the fear of the unknown, or there's the fear that deep-seated prejudice will begin to come out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what is in the heart will eventually come out of the mouth, and some people don't want that to come out in a in, a, in an environment where there is mixed races there. Uh, therefore, there's, there's a fear. So the biggest fear, uh, they might say something that may come off racist, or they may say something that may be offensive, and they didn't know it was offensive. And so there's just a fear. Yeah. Um, but I think we need to have those what we call heart conversations and just share our hearts with each other. And when there's a humility that is there, then whatever we're going to say can be either forgiven or I didn't mean it that way or I always thought this. And when we have Christ in the middle of us and there's a humility, there can be some honest conversations. But I think a lot of people have to get past the fear. It's a, it's a challenging thing. Uh, to be able to, because I think that there's a need, uh, whenever there's a fear like that, I think that there's a need for us to humble ourselves and say, I haven't lived Tony's life. I mean, even as I'm reading your bio, you have so many things in your bio I've never experienced before. Uh, I've never been to Japan, never been in the military. So those two things alone, you could fill me in on a whole host of things. I don't know anything about them. And I would, I would have a great... Uh, journey with you as you were teaching me, but I'm also not a black pastor, and I'm not a black man, and I didn't grow up that way, even in the context of where I did grow up, uh, even in the challenges that I did face. I didn't grow up like Tony Clark. I didn't grow up facing what what a black man has faced, and I think humility is a great antidote to fear. What, what else do you think would be a great antidote to fear for people listening in right now? I, I really think that, um, the, you know, there needs to be, uh, as I mentioned earlier, there needs to be a willingness to do it. There, And that really, I think this is why I said the church needs to lead the way, because we come humbly to the foot of the cross, and we have to be willing to make or to have those um, hard conversations and be willing to hear something we may not like. And, and that's, that's a lot of it as well, that people are not willing to hear something they don't like and, 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 and have all of their prejudices uh, exposed and, and those sorts of things. So I think that the, we start with the humility, uh, the humility, then there needs to be a willingness to get together and then we come and we open up in prayer and we we break some bread and we and we just have these hard conversations because here's the big thing we only going to spend eternity with each other so let us at least try to get along down here because it won't be the black section the white section and all that sort of stuff in heaven uh, revelation 7 9 said that he redeemed every man from every tribe tongue people and nation so we're only going to spend eternity with each other. Let us make a, 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 a attempt, a, give it a puncher's try to get along here on the earth. I made a statement this weekend, Tony, and maybe you can give me some feedback on it. Um, I made a statement to our church, and I said something like this. For many, or for most, racism is not just a term for them, not just a political construct. It's pain. It's looks. It's how they were treated. 
It opens up old wounds and fears, and the word stings as they as you may and maybe this speaks to you. You can help me with this. Where it racism is 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 how someone is treated, but it's it's even broader. It's not just some word to throw around. It opens up old wounds and pain. Um, is is that an accurate statement? Could that be? Can that be expanded even further? Did I make a mistake with that statement? Well, can can we put that definition in Webster's dictionary? Because I could the collegiate one, the one that's really good, because that is a most accurate uh, definition of racism from our eyes, from a black person's eyes. It it, it brings up uh, pain. Um, and all of the slave movies and books and things that we have seen, the injustice that's been going on and been perpetrated against us for 400 years, and then to have people say, you know, that's never happened, or we've had people even even let it come out of their mouths. I've had it on, on social media where she says, well, black people didn't have it as hard as the Irish. The Irish experienced slavery, and and they you black people didn't have it as hard as the Irish did. And I just say I can't even believe. I just say you know what the conversation is over now because I won't even. I said let me go ahead and erase this comment. I said because if some of my black friends read this, they will lose their minds. I said so let me just erase this, and we're going to end this conversation here. So it, the word racism means pain. Uh, no person, um, you know, like, for instance, when many of us walk into a store, there are a lot of precious white people who don't understand or don't know or don't realize or feel what it means to be followed around mm. um, and, you know, to have people follow you. One of, one of the pastors on our staff, he's from Cleveland, he said, you know what, he said, I when I go into a place, a store, even if I don't uh, or don't find what I'm looking for, he said, I will purchase something so they know I'm not there to steal. Wow. And so that, that's the mindset. Like one of my pastor friends, he said, you know what? Uh, he said, when I am driving in the car, he said that uh, when I see a police officer behind me, he said, I just know he's on my side. Let me, let me pull over and see what he wants. I said, that's not the way with black people. I said, when we see the rear view, we, we, we see the police officer's lights in the rear view mirror, we tense up. We immediately either put our hands out the car or over our heads, and we ask permission. May I have the permission to reach down and grab my uh, license and registration? And so it's just a different mindset. And so because of these things, we had to experience this is why the term, and, 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 and white people don't like it, the term of white privilege come up. Um, you know, and there was a, a very good video that was done. There was a, um, it was a coach who did a video. He had all kids there. He had uh, black kids, white kids. He had them there. He said, I'm going to do an experiment. And he began to ask a series of questions and said, if you had both parents in your home, take two steps forward. He said, if you had this, this, and this, take two more steps forward. And if you had this and you experienced this, take two more steps forward. And next thing you know, he said, now, I'm going, what I'm doing is I'm showing you white privilege at its finest. 
He said, now, I want you to turn around and look who hasn't moved from the starting block. It was all the black kids. He said, because of what you have experienced and, and what you went through and had at your disposal, that puts you steps and feet ahead of, of, of what black people uh, experience. And so folks, gonna, they get mad over that term, but they don't understand what, what we're talking about with that term. There's a calmness when a police officer is behind you. You can walk in the store and don't have to feel that somebody is watching your every move. I've had people follow me uh, several times uh, in stores. Uh, these are things we, we look out for um, when we go places that is just a different mindset. And so racism, like you said, is really, if I can define, just like leadership is defined by one word, influence, racism for me can be defined by one word, pain. Mm. Pain. T- tell, us, uh, tell us what it's like. You mentioned when you see red lights behind you, but what's it like when you're followed in a store? That's, that's a new, that's something you're adding to me. What, is, what does it feel like when you and your wife are being, or you're being followed, or your family, or your kids, you come, what's, I mean, you, what's, what's it feel like when somebody's yeah. following you in the store? Yeah, you know, and, and, and the thing is, is that it, it is such, um, it just brings up the pain again, that no matter what year it is, 2018, 19, 20, it doesn't matter, uh, that this is still the mindset that I'm potentially coming in to either try to steal something, sneak something in a bag or, or something. I, I've had people, and, you know, and I know because, see, this is something that we are so accustomed to that we know when someone is following us yeah. and they're pretending to shop or pretending it's the same guy or, you know, pretending to look through some clothes. And it's, it's funny, every section I go to, they find themselves there. And it, I already know it's security, it's, you know, but it's just an eerie feeling and it's a, 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 a pain and my heart drops and say, you know, no matter what, no matter what, th- this is still the case. And, and just like I mentioned um, in other uh, radio interviews that I've done, uh, when my son, Tony Jr., uh, went to court uh, because he was getting custody of his of his daughter. So he's a single mom, uh, single dad, and so uh, his we were uh, my wife and I, and my youngest son Eric, we were in uh, the waiting room waiting on the verdict to take place. Well, Tony Jr.'s lawyer said, "Oh man, we got to really watch ourselves." He said because there's she got some big old mean looking thugs with tattoos. Uh, sitting out there, you know, we got to watch ourselves. And he said, what? So Tony Jr. went out and peeked out. He said, I don't see no, I don't see any big, mean, thug-looking guys sitting out there. He said, right there, right there. He said, sir, that's my dad and my brother. And he never, you would think he would say, oh, man, I'm sorry, my fault. I, I didn't, nope, he didn't say a word. He just kept moving, no apology, no nothing. And so um, here I am, a pastor of a prominent church in our area. My son was a degree, yes, uh, from Liberty University. And yes, he does have tattoos. But to him, no matter what, we were big old mean-looking thugs. Uh-huh. And, and this, I had a guy from um, that hurt me 
uh, speak, uh, tell this story at another, um, on another radio program. And he wrote me a, a nasty gram, and he told me, he said, hey, maybe that lawyer hasn't been around black people before. And I was saying, oh, so that justifies him calling us big old mean thugs with tattoos because he hasn't been. I, I said to myself, he is a lawyer in Newport News, Virginia. Of course he's been around black people. <laughs> And so, yeah. but that's, no, no matter what, that's, that's the narrative that's painted. I'll tell you what, Tony, you hear the music? We came already to the first half of the program, so I'm going to put you on hold. And for you guys listening on Grace FM, you guys connected, we are going to take a two-minute break, and we are going to be right back. This is Calvary Live. We have special guest, Pastor Tony Clark, Calvary Chapel, Newport News. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, welcome back everyone to Calvary Live, a special edition. Uh, we've been asking good friends of mine to come on the program and talk to us uh, so that we can learn and we can grow, and as the Church of Jesus Christ, we can address the significant racial tensions that exist today. And today's special guest is a good friend of mine from Calvary Chapel in Newport News, Virginia. His name is Tony Clark. He's been pastoring for 26 years and has a unique perspective on all of this. Welcome back, Tony Clark. Thank you. Thank you. And the most important part, I'm honored that uh, I'm called your friend. <laughs> you uh, Praise God that, that the Lord brought you into, our, into my life. I mean, it's, uh, it's amazing how in all the time that uh, we've been Calvary Chapel pastors, we've crossed paths many, many times, but in His perfect timing and God's perfect sovereign will, bringing us together in friendship is the best. Because, you know, you can be in yeah. a room with, um, you know, thousand guys— and say hey and hi and how you know get asked how big your church is and all that stuff but but god reserves friendships for just a few and uh yes. it's really cool that way yes it is so we're we're talking about uh racial tensions we're talking about racism um in case uh anyone is wondering tony clark is a black man uh and he's giving us his personal perspective as a man uh, he's given us his personal perspective as a black man, as a pastor. Uh, and if you're just joining us for the second half, just got out of work, we welcome you. We welcome your calls. Uh, we're not taking calls of argument. Uh, we're not taking calls to disagree. We're taking calls of uh, genuine questions. If you have a genuine question, you, want, you, you truly want to hear and learn, we're going to take your call. But um, otherwise, uh, we're, we're going to continue our conversation and I have I want to build on what you shared uh, in the last uh, segment because I was I was told something this weekend that I don't I don't have the ability to answer and I think you do and that is I was told by a white man in a discussion that there's no such thing as systemic racism in our culture. What would you say to that, Tony? 
you know, um, and there are many people, uh, and even black people, who have um, who agree with that statement that there is no systemic racism. Um, you know, but if you look at the the history uh, of uh, black people in this country, um, and and some people don't even realize uh, from the time of slavery, they don't, a lot of people don't realize the history or the origin of police officers. Uh, the, the origin of police officers, they used to be the slave catchers who would police the area for runaway slaves. It's from that came a whole police department, and this is why there's a lot of tension between blacks and um, police officers. And so if you look at the history of that, from all the way from when slavery was supposedly uh, over uh, to segregation, uh, Jim Crow laws, all this sort of stuff. There's been, let's just say, uh, racism that has been woven throughout American history against black people. Because the, the term systemic racism, um, you know, it has such negative connotations. I would just say if you look at the history of our country and you look at the history of black people in our country, then there has been, um, like, for instance, um, when we were still in slavery, uh, there was a time that we were considered three-fifths of a human. We were somewhere, they defined it as somewhere between a human being and a barnyard animal. Uh, some people said, well, that was for the purpose of voting. And all, no, it goes deeper than that. And so from that time period throughout our history, we tried to pass laws. We tried to make things better. And, and there's still, like, let me, let me just say this. It is still not a federal crime to lynch someone. Um, I, I remember when I was telling this story to one of the stations I was uh, being interviewed for, I have a cousin in Beth, Beckley, West Virginia. He was messing around with a white girl back in the 80s, and they hung him, mm. hung him, lynched him, hung him from his family, found him hanging from a tree. And that was just 30 years ago. So... Like I said, racism never went away. It just went underground because different laws and things has caused things to go underground, but it's still there. So if you look at it, this is why affirmative action, this is why even in the NFL, they're still trying to fight to get minorities and coaching positions and things. Why? Because it's, it, even though laws are being passed, there's still systems in place that is keeping black people from really being all that they could be. Some people said, well, they're not qualified. Well, I, that, that can be argued. But the thing is, is that I will not no longer want to term it systemic racism because the negative connotation with that. I would just say throughout our history, yeah. there's been systems in place that has kept us from really uh, advancing and being all uh, that we can be in this country. Thank you for that. Uh, let, let me add to this conversation a little bit to bring some balance because I think that there's a possibility of people listening that would be offended at what you just said. And I don't believe you made offense. And, the, and what yeah. I heard you say was that 
the policing system has some origins in chasing and being slave catchers. Uh, can I can I help clarify that for you, or that in the sense that you don't have a negative view of police forces today? Would that be accurate, or most definitely accurate. There, oh, because there are a few bad apples. I'm not going to throw out the baby with the bathwater. There's some very good police officers. Matter of fact, just before I came on, there's a white police officer who listens to me on the radio all the time. He lives in Virginia Beach, which is about an hour from me. Right. And he was asking me some questions and really wanted to learn and understand and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I'm definitely, I am for, police officers are ordained by God, according to Romans 13. They're ordained and they're to execute judgment on those who do evil. They are needed. And, and the craziness of Minneapolis and New York to even talk about disbanding the police, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. So I am for pro-police officers. They are here doing the job, and they have a hard one, uh, because man's heart is desperately wicked, or as some translations say, incurably sick. And this is the world that they have to try to police. So I was just given the origin of why there could be some mounted tension between police officers and blacks. And you, we've all seen, we're old enough to remember uh, black and white pictures of police officers sicking dogs on black folks sure. and all this kind of water holes and stuff. So there's been bad blood yep. uh, between uh, blacks and police officers. So I was just given the origin of where that, uh, that, that attitude uh, came from. And I think it's important to, for us to hear this because the, the need—I've uh, been trying to teach our church and anyone that I have influence with that we can, we can, hold, we can believe two things at the same time. Um, we can believe that there, is, there, there are uh, systems of racism. Uh, we can believe that people are hurt. We can believe that police, police officers are good, all at the same yeah. time. Um, and I think that if we're not careful, when we—the moment in a conversation— that we hear something we don't like, we automatically shut down and start formulating yeah. a response in our mind, and we stop listening. And yeah. there's a need for us to even set aside our disagreements for the moment for the sake of hearing and listening, because I know you, and I, I know exactly what you meant when you said that. I know you meant no uh, negative ill will toward the police force, but knowing that we're in a interview like this, in a discussion like this, like people are kind of listening in to you and me talking we're, we're they're listening in on our conversation. We invite them in that it's a great opportunity for us because we have, we have tremendous police officers in our church, uh, faithful men and women. My son was a police officer. The, the, but, but one of the, uh, a few of the real nasty uh, responses that I've been getting is that um, because I believe that black lives matter, that I am also now a, a cop hater, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah, that is, and I'm glad you brought that up, and I'm glad you clarified that, because that could have been taken that way, and I'm glad you caught that. Um, and the thing about it is that I, I'm, I, I am even stopping saying uh, black lives matter. I'll just say black people matter. Why? Because the Imago Dei, that we're made in the image of God like everybody else is. 
And this is why black people matter to God. So when, when people even say black lives matter, I have to tell people, I say, look, there's a difference between saying black lives matter, the statement, and Black Lives Matter, the movement. Yes. There's two different things here. The movement is out to lunch. Its origins is wicked. The, their foundation is bad. It's anti-biblical and all that. So Black Lives Matter, the movement, I will never endorse. Yes. But Black Lives Matter, the statement. Now, and let me give the intent. Let me help your, your listeners understand what the original intent was and how it has gone left. Now, okay, the, the original intent of that statement was this. Every time we look up, because everyone has a cell phone, every time we look up, there are black people being shot and killed by police officers. And then we see white people like the young kid who went into the church in South Carolina and killed nine people at a prayer meeting. The police took him to Burger King, got him a burger. Mm. I said, when have you ever heard of the police taking a uh, black person to Burger King to get a burger? He This kid just killed nine people. But though he gets a burger, I saw another uh, video, uh, matter of fact, two days ago, uh, there was a white kid. He was uh, handcuffed. He was sitting down by a police car, and the police was giving him a water bottle. He was helping him drink a water bottle. I've never seen anything like that for a black person. So as... And then there was another video of a white man uh, waving a machete at the police officer. They quietly subdued him, took him off the jail. If a black person had a machete waving it at a police officer, he'd have been shot and killed. And so with those examples, black people originally came up and just say, hey, don't our lives matter too? Mm. Why is it that we, we have to be shot and killed and then white people who will do another heinous crime, they get quietly taken off the jail. So that was the original intent. Don't our lives matter, too? Now, where it has gone today is out in left field. So that's why I like to differentiate between Black Lives Matter, the statement, and Black Lives Matter, the movement. Hey, we got a question, Tony. Thank you so much for that clarification, because I think that there, uh, when you say a statement, it can be easily— and easily interpreted as adopting a, everything that, that an organization stands for, and mm -hmm. that's actually not the statement being made at all. Yeah, exactly. Let's go not to the phones. That, we have, we have a... I changed it to Black People Matter. I, I like that. Is that catching on? Oh, yeah. You know, um, matter of fact, I'm the one who's doing it. I'm the one who started it. <laughs> I like so, it. Uh, and so everywhere I give an interview or so, I make sure I clarify that. Um, I... And then when people say all lives matter and when people say blue lives matter, they're negating our pain. They're negating what we are experiencing. And by saying, forget what you're experiencing, blue lives matter, all lives matter, is negating our pain. And yeah. that's and that's the part that I see a disconnect with the church, is that they 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 are not willing to weep with those who weep, and that's a shame. Uh, and so, before I get to uh, we've got a phone call, but before I get to the question, can you explain a little bit deeper that when you declare from the depths of the pain you're feeling in your perspective, you declare, I declare. From, from where I sit, standing alongside of you, sitting with you, that black people matter, and a response comes with, uh, well, all lives matter. 
How does that make you feel and what does that sound like to you? That sounds like we don't care what you're going through. That's what it, it just says. We don't care. And then when I hear all lives matter, that, that and, and, you know, Christ died for all, we know that. But at the same time with that statement is negating our pain. And I told, uh, I mentioned on the radio yesterday, um, I said, look, I said, when I hear that sort of thing, all lives matter, I think of the, the in Luke 15, the, the lost sheep. And how the shepherd left the 99. I say, here's how the conversation with The shepherd left the 99 to go after the one. The sheep say to the shepherd, hey, shepherd, don't our lives matter? All sheep matter. And Jesus will say, yes, your lives matter, but I'm going after the one who is lost and the one that is out there. And therefore, the, what the church is failing to do, the church is failing, failing to go after the laws and those who are out there hurting. There's a whole community of people called black people who are hurting. They're lost, and they're expressing their anger in ungodly ways. They need Jesus. And we're not willing to even extend that to them because we're too busy fighting, talking about uh, abortion and black-on-black crime instead of going after the lost sheep that are out there. Thank you. Let's get to the phone lines. We have Shelly in Colorado Springs. Shelly, welcome to the program. Hello. Hi, you're on the air with Pastor Tony Clark. Okay, hey, Pastor Tony. I just have a quick question. When... How can I... Okay... When do we get past, like, everybody wants to be validated, and I totally understand what you mean by you want, you want white people to understand and Hispanics and all people to understand the pain that you have been through, and it has been horrible. Please do not, do not think I'm trying to discredit that. But when can we get, when do leaders get past and say, this is how we're going to heal this, this is how we're going to get to a uh, better place? What do you think, Tony? Yeah, I, I can hear. Yeah, she, that that's her question. When do you when do you think we can get? She wants to know when we actually start working on solutions. Well, I, I think that when there's a willingness to be able to sit and understand uh, what people who have been uh, victimized, who have been marginalized in our society for so long. Uh, when we're willing to sit down and listen to them, because, see, eventually this will die down like every other thing will. It will die down, and once again, racism will go underground instead of uh, really laying that racism at the foot of the cross. And here's the problem. The problem that I'm seeing is that I want to say salvation is the key, salvation is the issue, but I'm seeing more racist things from Christians. I'm (laughs) I'm talking about from the very people because I'm trying to tell folks, look, let's go after the lost. There are black people who are lost. They're out there. They're sheep without a shepherd. Let's introduce them to our shepherd. But you got folks who've been introduced to the shepherd, and they're still racist. Mm. So I think that we can never just – when I hear someone say, when can we just get on with it or get over it, whatever – I, I, the picture I see is let's just raise up the rug and sweep it under the rug again and let that lump stay there under the rug. And the thing about it is we're gonna, it's going to stay under the rug until another incident occurs. Matter of fact, I see every day several 
I just, matter of fact, Pastor Ed, I just saw a video today that there, there was three police officers that was wrestling with a black kid. They had him handcuffed. He was moving and wiggling. And then one police officer shot him. And, and then he was still kind of wiggling. And he shot him again. And then he was laying there still, didn't move. And then next thing you know, he started wiggling again. He shot him a third time. I said, this, we want to move on. We want to get past it. But we're constantly seeing these incidents take place. There are great cops out there, great police officers, but we're constantly seeing these videos, and we say, we, we want to get past it, we want to get over it, and we want to say Jesus is the answer. But when I'm seeing Jesus' people, because you got to understand, the ones who espoused slavery when we came over here, they called themselves Christians. They said this was a Christian nation, and so we've been victimized by Christianity in black people's view from the time we came over here. And I said, if the church doesn't get this right, I'm telling you there will be a mad exodus of black people from the church and millennials, because millennials are getting it, but from the church, and it's going to be a sad thing, and they're going to get involved with the black Muslims, the black Hebrew Israelites, the black nationalists, because they have been saying from day one, Christianity is the white man's religion, so therefore, come we will accept you. We got a word for the black man. Christianity does it. And so we do want to move on. We really do. And I want to point people to Jesus Christ, and I will forever point them to Jesus Christ. But when, we're, when I'm seeing the racism from my precious white brothers and sisters, I, I, don't, ha I don't have an answer for that. I, I really don't. I think part of the, my answer to your, to your observation, Shelley, is is the starting point for me is to talk, and it is to hear, and it, it is not merely uh, quoting to validate that there's racism. It's, it's to talk, it, talk about it, because the Bible talks about things being brought into the light can't be hidden, uh, that God is a God of light. He's not a God of shadows, so that once we bring something to the light and we actually listen to one another, and, and we give platform to my brother Tony and other black men and women that can give us their perspective. Um, perspective is everything, and I think listening is everything. And if I don't, if I don't gain an understanding of where Tony is, then I'm going to talk over him, and I'm going to talk around him, because I don't know what he's feeling and what he's experiencing. He's added something, and I, I know that many people listening in, you having things added to you, one of the things that Tony's added to me that I hadn't taken note of up until this point uh, is that I, I never thought of my friend, and just put this into perspective, is God is fashioning and forming me as a man. I never thought of my friend, Tony Clark, being followed in a store before. That would have never, I would have never thought of that, ever. I would have never asked him. I Maybe I might have picked up on some body language if we were in the store together. Maybe, just maybe. But we'd probably be joking and, and getting whatever. And Tony's dealing with what he's dealing with. And and I wouldn't, I wouldn't even pick up on it. And so I think that what we're doing is actually both. What we're doing is we're not only validating the reality from another man's perspective, but we're also working on the solution by talking about it, by listening, 
by looking at opportunities. Look, I, I want to reach as many people with the gospel as well. And so what do I need to do? I need to learn how to build bridges so that I don't talk over Tony. Uh, I don't need to reach Tony. He's saved already. But what about the next Tony? Uh, what about, you know, like last week, what about the next Bill Buffington? You know, one of the things I learned last week, Tony, uh, was that our mutual friend Bill Buffington was literally a part of the riots after the Rodney King acquittal. Yes, and, yes, okay. And yep. I didn't know that about him. You know, and he and I go way back, but I didn't know that about him. And mm-hmm. and what was God's solution for that young man that was rioting in the streets of L.A.? The gospel of Jesus Christ reached him, and now he's pastoring today. Yeah, and, yeah. And there is hope for every person that we see on the news, every person. You know, we were watching this morning a video from Miles McPherson, and, and he said, it's about as plain as day, um, don't believe everything that you hear on CNN or Fox News. Um, yeah. They they have an agenda and how they report they things. What, what what would you say to that? Oh, de- most definitely. You know, yeah, they they're into uh, sensationalizing things and and just getting ra- ratings and ratings up and uh, yeah. So they're gonna definitely point out all the things uh, because they have an agenda. Uh, the things that's going to get angry, you know, get people to react and angry. And yeah, so you're right. That's exactly what they do. Well, we're coming up on the end of the program. We got a few minutes left. Um, I got so many more questions, but instead of the questions, Tony, with the last few minutes, what what would you say to the listening audience? What, what really pastorally, personally, as a man, as a dad, as a husband, uh, living uh, in this world as a black man, what would you say to us? What do we need to hear? I, I think that, you know, just like it says in Peter, that, you know, we should follow in Jesus' steps. And Jesus, he saw people and he, he had compassion for them. And I think that what we're seeing now is there's a lack of compassion. I I've, um, have friends, um, you know, pastoral friends, as you know, um, not one of them have uh, that I'm expecting to. Not one of them have reached out to me and just say, "Hey, man, how you doing through this? How's the church doing through this?" Um, and um, it's been a few like you and and a, a few others who have. But some of the ones that I've spoken in their churches. Um, here's another just a little side note quickly: is that oh, I've spoken in you know, of course, predominantly all white churches. And I've had people get up and walk out as soon as I got up to start teaching, um, you know, and I've heard different reasons as to why they did that. And um, so, you know, these are things that people don't, oh, you know, maybe they had to go to the restroom. Maybe, it, no, no, no. They saw me and then they got up and left. Mm-hmm. And um, um, it could be because their favorite pastor wasn't there, and you know how people are. Sure. But um, but I've had that happen. That What that means is that black people's antennas are always up, mm-hmm. and we are very sensitive to how we're treated, how we're perceived. That's how we know people are following us. That's how we know, uh, you know, like, for instance, there, there, I remember walking on one side of the street and a white person uh, crossed the street not to even so they wouldn't have to walk past me. Uh, white women cl- uh, clutching their purses, uh, to, you know, just in case I might want to try to grab it. These are things that is part of our world. It's so natural and normal that I, we only bring it up because we're talking about things like this, but it's our, it's our normal. 
and this is how we have to live. And I'll just say, hey, let's just try to walk in the steps of Jesus. Let's see people through the eyes of Jesus with compassion and have those honest conversations that you talked about. Well, I appreciate you uh, investing the time. I know it's a service night for you, and you're a couple hours late from us. Um, and your voice, it's I'm glad that you're... I had our guys do ah, it, so, so I can spend time with you. Well, we're glad that you invested your time. You're you're going out on a lot of different stations, and I know the Lord's going to use this time. I love you, appreciate you, appreciate your family, your church family. What a church family you have. I had well, such a great well, time they, there. They love you. They love you here. <laughs> they love you here. So when all this corona clears up, we, we you're on the on on the deck to come back again well we're grateful grateful for that trust i know it's not uh i know it's not given uh quickly or lightly so thanks for coming on my friend god bless you man thank you and call me if you need me for anything else you got it brother (laughs) bye-bye all right all right hey thanks for everyone uh tuning in today i know this is going to be redone into a podcast and uh, we'll get it on the air for you some people are texting how can you get the recording Uh, we're going to put this on our church app. Uh, So just go to your app store, Calvary uh, Church. Just put in Ed Taylor, and our app will pop up. And, and, you know, these are are stirring uh, conversations, and I know not everyone is comfortable with them. I know that not everyone agrees, but I do appreciate you listening because as we listen to one another, the Holy Spirit brings unity. That's where real unity comes. And what I'm so grateful that these men would invest their time in sharing their perspective, which has to be very challenging and difficult, I'm sure. My name is Ed Taylor. We have service tonight in person. Come on out. We are worshiping Jesus, looking at the last days. Tomorrow, I've got a special guest, our friend, Pastor. To Calvary Live. I don't get Tune to talk over the prayer recording. And God's Word. <laughs>